Hi, welcome back to the Ancient Art of Modern Warfare, bite-sized podcasts addressing the enduring elements of warfare. The intent is to be a kind of citizen's war college, providing information they can use in exercising their duties in the nation's decisions to use military force to protect and defend the nation. I'm Chris Mayer, and today we're discussing honor. Honor. Almost all of us use the word or some variation of it, such as honorable and honest. In war, it conjures up notions of knights in pageantry, jousts in duels, or in the First World War, of pilots saluting one another after a kill. But is it even real? Does honor have any relevance to modern warfare? In the previous podcast, I continued the theme of just war, presenting two of the three interdependent principles of jus in bello, or justice in the conduct of war. These are military necessity and humanity. The third principle of jus in bello is honor. These three principles are the foundations of the laws and customs of war. Joining me today is Colonel Jason Altieri, U.S. Army retired. Colonel Altieri is an assistant professor of the Air War College, and his challenge today is to defend the idea that this ancient and perhaps archaic principle of honor is relevant to modern warfare. Now, before I go on, I need to say that what Colonel Altieri says is his own opinion based on his extensive military training and experience. It does not necessarily represent the views of the Air War College, the U.S. Army, or the U.S. government. Colonel Altieri, Jason, welcome to the ancient art of modern warfare. Chris, it's good to be here. Uh, It's good to talk to you again, and uh, I've had a chance to listen to your podcast over the last couple of uh, months, and uh, I'm honored that you've asked me to, to talk to you today. Well, I'm certainly happy to have you with me today. But getting right into it, what is meant by honor, and especially honor in war? Let me start off by let me start off by giving you what my interpretation, and since I also have the uh, I now have the privilege of working for both the um, for the United States Air Force and the U.S. Army, I'll begin by starting off with the Air Force perspective of it, uh, at least from how we use it here at the Air University, is that all of our airmen should be guided by what we would call a deep-held sense of honor and one of personal comfort and. Uh, we actually use the term uncontrolled selfish appetites, putting a sense of personal responsibility and personal standards maybe ahead of those more base instincts. From an Army perspective, uh, the U.S. Army teaches and talks about this idea of, of honor. It's part of our core values, but one that embodies everything we do. We consider that a matter of carrying out and acting and living values of what the Army uses, of uh, this idea of respect, uh, duty, loyalty, selfless service, integrity, and and personal courage, both physical and mental, in everything we do. This is not a new concept, obviously. Uh, if you graduated from any service academy, any military, any military college, uh, any ROTC program, you know as well as I do that uh, honor is taught as a as a concept, as a value. Uh, the military services consider our honor is critical to the success of the organizations, the institutions, and the military considers this idea of honor, these, uh, these values, these, these acts that we consider as an important ingredient of enhancing mission accomplishment. 
what's funny about it is that honor is considered somewhat of an, arch an archaic term in the 21st century. Honor goes back, I mean, and when I use that phrase archaic, I don't mean that it's useless, but to most of the public, honor is this idea of chivalry, of knights on horseback, or or two gentlemen dueling on a on a quiet field somewhere in in the early morning in the UK, or perhaps even one officer laying down a sword to another officer in surrender. But it's more than that, and quite frankly, it still has relevancy even in the 21st century environment, battle spaces we environment of cyber, space, and air, and land, and maritime combat. But Jason, even if the United States and perhaps our Western allies try to conduct war with justice, honor, and even chivalry, our actual and potential enemies act with apparent contempt for those concepts. Even more, their actions disregard every principle at use in Bello, yet they are able to use a cooperative media to hammer home every error we make or deviation from that ideal. Is the effort to try to live by honor in war just something that gets in the way of our effectiveness while discarding such notions makes our enemies more effective? Chris, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge that uh, I'm gonna challenge some of the uh, some of that question. Uh, first, I will say that no, it doesn't it doesn't get in the way of what we do. I'll start off by um, I'll start off by getting at the the heart of from a historical perspective of this. As far back as Thucydides, when he was writing about the Peloponnesian War, he understood that humanity has a nature that it's both perfect and imperfect. And that when you look at these ideas of fear, honor, and interest in the Peloponnesian War, they still apply today. As Thucydides also discovered, the nature of war may be constant, but the character of war, that changes potentially over time. And he saw this play out with the, with the Athenians and the Spartans. Both sides go into that war with a certain set of values and, certain, and a certain idea of what honor war was. And as the war progressed, those civilized restraints on the human behaviors of how we operate in what people would call civilized society, over time, war can tend to barbarize us. Thucydides even uses the example that it's like a plague that can destroy uh, all that is good in a civilization and what it's achieved. This very much plays out when he, when he cites what Pericles during one of his orations, talks about this idea of trying to convince the Athenians to compromise on the very values of which they operate or operated, because in Pericles' mind, it was worth the cost to the prestige of what was going to be incurred. And, and I say read victory with that. Thucydides, I think, saw that as a danger. He carries that on again with Amelian Dialogue, and he, he uses that as a warning to nations to be very careful that sometimes you're going to become the very enemy you are fighting if you don't hold on to those values. Uh, we see this playing out. We see this playing out today. Uh, I use the example, and it and it's it was shown in a movie here recently. It's in fact it probably happened more times than most of us can count. Uh, the special operations teams in Afghanistan and Iraq that may have in fact been compromised by uh, a local national. And those teams having to make those decisions in the field, do we, do we shoot an innocent civilian to save the mission, or do we call the mission off and start over again? 
if we start if if we do not if we do not inculcate into our soldiers and to ourselves and hold ourselves to a high standard, we can very easily slip into that level of barbarism. And that does challenge the very values and the very nature of what we are fighting for, both in our Constitution and our very ideas that were laid out in the Declaration of Independence. Is it easy? No. Are there going to be times when it works against us? Yes. But the short-term benefit of ignoring these ideas of honor in combat, uh, ignoring these ideas of honor in war, if we don't, if we don't, stri if we don't strive to maintain those values, and we're not always successful at it, uh, that would be the it would be remiss to say what we did. But if we don't strive to hold ourselves to that standard, then we become the very enemy we fight, and that is not a win. That is no win for this republic or our Western values that we that we are fighting for. So, Jason, given what you've said, and including the recognition that sometimes we've failed to live up to our own ideals, and recognizing that we often have opponents for whom our concept of honor is taken as a sign of weakness. How can we use honor as a force multiplier? Well, it really and it comes down to this idea of equality of mercy. And again, you're go war is going to take on a character of its own as the war progresses. Talked about that from a Thucydidean approach. But when we look at something, let's let's use let's use the United States fighting Japan during World War II as, as a as a discussion point of that. It was a very violent conflict. All war is obviously, uh, but more so perhaps given how the war progressed from 1941 and even further back, if you include China, up until 1945, with the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. General MacArthur understood that we could, there were a number of options on how we could have ended that war and dishonored our opponents. We made a conscious effort in the surrender ceremony to allow the Japanese to surrender. We allowed them, we allowed Japan to keep their emperor, which was, an, which was a form of honor in war, but it is a force multiplier but one may have to look at it from a long-term game rather than the short-term tactical advantage. So I'd say from a strategic level, honor is very much a useful tool in the kit bag of fighting our nation's wars. But it may require some short-term tactical patience when you're getting beat up in the when you're getting beat up perhaps in the media, you're getting beat up by your enemy who's using that against you as a form of weakness. But at the end of the day, I would submit the United States has been reasonably successful using honor in warfare as a tool, as part of that trade of warfare. Jason and I went on for some time after that discussing other aspects of honor in war, and I'll try to post some of that discussion on my blog site. But for now, my uh, two doggies are telling me that it's time to say goodbye, so this is Chris Mayer. Uh, hoping that you'll join us again next time for more of the ancient art of modern warfare.